When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Welcome to It's an S-Pod Thing, the podcast revisiting every episode of S-Club 7's insane TV show. I'm Sophie Davis, and joining me on this journey from Miami to Spain will be a range of guests who may or may not have seen the show before. Either way, we're going to analyse it in more detail than anyone ever asked for. If you're an S-Club fan like me and remember watching the show, hopefully this podcast will bring it all back to you. So my guest on the podcast today is writer and podcaster Tom Beasley. Hello. Hi there. Great to be here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for watching this for me. (laughs) I I had a delightful time. (laughs) Brilliant. So to start with, I'd just like to know, what is your history with S Club 7? And have you ever seen this TV series before? Well, it's interesting. Surprisingly, I've never seen the TV show before because S Club 7 were my first ever favourite band. Oh, yeah. Same here, I think. Yeah, I really, really loved them. I think um, the the self-titled debut album was the first album I ever owned on tape. And, and, and so I listened to it probably, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. So the music of S Club 7 is, is something I know very well, but I, I wasn't familiar with the show. I think I was sort of vaguely aware that they had had TV shows. Uh, but I, I'd never seen an episode of them. And so this was a, a really kind of fresh experience for me to see the acting chops of these people. Yeah, it was similar with me. I remember being into the music first. I remember having the cassette tape in the car and all that sort of thing. And then, yeah, a friend lent me her videos of the TV show when I was in primary school. So I did watch it when I was younger, but I remember not watching it actually on the TV. It was something that my friend just let me borrow when I was off school ill one day. <laughs> and yeah, I was hooked at the time. And rewatching it now is a strange experience. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about Miami 7 episode 5. Uh, this one is called The Man from EMI, and it aired on CBBC on the 6th of May, 1999. And it starts with them all sort of getting their post in the morning, doesn't it? Yes, it, it does. And and Rachel is very upset at her lack of post. It's a really hard-hitting opening that gets to the heart of the issues within these people. Yeah, everything in the post is for Joe. There's a little bit of a joke first about how Hannah fancies the postman, presumably because he's on roller skates, so he's like the height of cool. Yeah, H- Hannah is exceptionally thirsty for the for the postman at the opening of this episode. It, it relies on a, a, a male slash male pun. <laughs> yeah, and he comes sort of sliding up to them, and at first I was like, wait, is he levitating or something? But no, he's wearing roller skates because it's uh, the late 90s. That's it, he's, he's 90s cool, uh, not mm-hmm. cool in any other era. So it turns out all of the posters for Joe because her boyfriend has been sending her all these poems and letters and he's also sent her two packages. And like you said, Rachel is quite jealous because her boyfriend hasn't sent her anything at all. Yeah, sort of th- throughout this stuff, we get these odd cutaways to, to Joe's boyfriend. 
who's sort of in this kind of white-coloured void of imagination <laughs> where he's, like, sending off these letters. It's an incredibly bizarre visual device that makes Joe's boyfriend look a bit like a psychopath. Yeah, and this isn't something that's been used in previous episodes. This is just for this episode. We get these little, yeah, cutaways to things before they went to Miami, I guess, and Rachel's kind of imagining, oh, maybe he made you this nice meal with lobster. And Joe's like, oh, not really. And then we cut away again and see that he's actually just ordered her a pizza. But yeah, like you said, they're all just within this weird sort of void, which is where they presumably live. Yeah, I mean, it it looks quite roomy. As someone who spent the last kind of six weeks looking at the inside of a flat just outside London, I would love the kind of white void room. (laughs) That is the dream. (laughs) So they're all kind of saying, oh, Joe's boyfriend is really sweet, but she's very unimpressed. She's like, Oh, I suppose so. But I mean, they're sweet and then there's overkill. I mean, the poor guy, he's been writing her poems and everything. Bradley says something that rhymes and says, oh, I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. And Hannah goes, yeah, now all you need is a girlfriend. Like little petty arguments all the time. I mean, one of the defining characteristics of poets is that they're often, you know, alone and how that powers <laughs> their art. So if anything, it makes Bradley a better poet and, and he should, you know, continue to live the single life <laughs> or the single Pringle life, as he would probably call it, being a consummate poet. Uh, probably, yeah. Um, Joe opens up her presents and she's got a balloon and a cake. And these are both presumably packages from the UK. And I like how the cake is an absolute mess. And the balloon is still intact. Yeah, the, the, the balloon has, has survived very well. Have we met Joe's boyfriend before, or is this the first episode where we see him? This is the first time we see him, and the last. <laughs> so, uh, poor, this poor boyfriend, who, you know, from the start, he's treated pretty horribly by Joe. It seems like Joe never really liked him in the first place. So you question why they were together to begin with. Yeah, especially when she left for Miami. You think she might have ended it then if she, well, she mentions later on, she's not a fan of his shoes. And that's clearly a deal breaker. That's a, that's a day one thing that you notice is someone's shoes, surely. Yeah, and he comes, well, we'll get to this later on, but he comes all the way to Miami and she is still unimpressed. <laughs> yes, it, it's not even that she's, so she's certainly not pleased that he's there, but she's not like angry or upset. She's just really unbothered by the whole thing. <laughs> and you know, at the very least have the courtesy to react to this poor man who was, you know, he's, he's a young fella. I don't know what his job is. But that must have been an expensive plane ticket. To go and get chucked, as they say later on. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a good job he arrived before the cake, because that would have been miserable if they'd if they'd broken up and then a day later Joe receives a sort of <laughs> mangled cake. Yeah, the cake is a disaster, but as soon as she opens it, Paul is suddenly next to her, because Paul's defining characteristic in this show is that he's always hungry. So he just starts digging in with his hands. Rachel goes, oh, is that a bit edible? And Paul eats it and goes, no, I don't think it was. Now, you see, I have a lot of residual feelings about S Club 7 and they seem to manifest around Paul because the first uh, emotion that comes to mind when I see Paul is rage because he's a dirty lever who left the band. He's <laughs> <And laughs> still scarred by it. Um, it. You know, that was one of the defining events of my emotional development was the split of S Club 7. 
Um, yeah. And so, you know, when I see Paul shoveling Joe's hard-won cake into his mouth. <laughs> yeah. He's only in it for the cake, that Paul. That's mainly what he does in this episode. And later on, he talks about how he's hungry again, and that's his contribution. But I watched um, I watched a clip the other day of Paul on First Dates. Have you seen this at all? Oh, so I, I did not know he was on First Dates. I'm fascinated by this. Did the person he was on a date with tell him they couldn't be together because he's a dirty leaver who left the band? <laughs> Weirdly, she didn't seem that familiar with who he was. I I don't really watch first dates, but this was I, he was on the non celebrity version, so he was oh, just that's on a, a date. that's a burn from Channel Four. <laughs> <laughs> I know he was on a date with a woman who, well, she didn't recognize him. And she asked him what he did. And he was like, oh, you know, I do this now, but I used to be in a band. And she's like, oh, is there any band that I've heard of? And when he said S Club 7, she her jaw kind of dropped, but still she didn't seem that familiar with S Club 7. So I'm not sure maybe she was, well, maybe she was his age, in which case she'd be a bit old for it at the time. Because this is something that came up on first dates, actually. Sorry, this is a first dates podcast now. I, I, I'm cool with that. If we, <laughs> <laughs> this is something that came up when the little bit where he's talking to the camera, you know, explaining why he's there for a date and all that. He talked about S Club Seven, saying that apparently when the band started, they were being told by all these executives that it was going to be a band for you know like 16, 18 year olds like a sort of cool hip band and then it turned out it was for you know babies and i think that's part of the reason why he left he was just kind of sick of it and because he's a dirty lever who left the band yeah exactly <laughs> first yeah first date is really interesting i find it bizarre that that they put him on the non-celebrity one and that they just yeah. put him with someone who clearly didn't know who he was i mean i so my most recent experience of S Club 7 was when my uh, fiance started at university so this is probably Oh, goodness, five or six years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. And the big sort of headline thing of their freshers ball, as it was called, was that S Club 7 were playing a set. Yes. And so it was it was spread across several venues within the sort of student union. And uh, S Club 7 were playing in sort of the, the, the main bar, I guess it was. And so when it was time for their set, everyone kind of poured out of all the other venues and kind of came in. It was literally there were people standing on tables, um, people, you know, stood on like window window sills at the back of the bar. It was it was pretty crazy. And then three members of S Club 7 come out from from memory. It was Joe, Bradley and Paul. I believe, yeah. from memory. And they kind of G'd up the crowd a bit and then just started lip-syncing to S Club 7 songs. Oh, it, no. It was almost like a glorified DJ set where they'd, like, introduce the song and they'd, like, occasionally, like, sing a bit or, like, you know, improv a little, a little ad-lib on it. And then they started they started kind of doing the same thing, but to songs that were not even S Club 7 songs. And you could just wow. feel the atmosphere in the room change. And it slowly emptied over the course of the next 20 minutes. It was oh. one of the most miserable experiences of my life. <laughs> oh, that is tragic. <laughs> yeah, this is something called S Club 3, I believe they call themselves. Oh, they did. And... That, was, that was not a long focus group. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you're going to hate this. Uh, Paul actually left again. Of course he did, because he's a dirty labourer and left the band. <laughs> and I think they still perform as S Club 3, but it's now 
Tina or wait, who did you say you saw? Paul, Joe and Bradley. I think that's who it was. Yes. Yeah. I think that was the, the original lineup of S Club 3 and it's now Paul, uh, no, sorry, uh, Joe, Bradley and Tina and they still are doing, you know, the student union rounds and all that sort of thing. It's like the student union circuit now is just like nostalgia for late 90s early noughties music and tv shows it's like s club three and dave benson phillips from get your own back <laughs> i'm jealous i'd love a live get your own back experience and yeah i think like dick and dom and people yes. like that are doing all the, and the, the, the chuckle brothers when they were both you know around i think we're doing that sort of thing as well but i remember yeah some of my friends from school who were at a different uni to me they had s club three at their uni and mine didn't and i remember being quite jealous at the time a few years ago i'm not sure why warwick uni wasn't included but there you go i feel like <laughs> warwick uni's a bit too good for s club three <laughs> see like I, i'm from coventry so i lived very very near oh. warwick university and uh, and so warwick university almost seemed like kind of unattainable to someone you know from coventry this was like that was the nice bit that's far too nice for s club three maybe they did coventry and they were like no we can't go to warwick <laughs> or warwick didn't want them yeah i can't imagine i can't imagine s club three playing the warwick art center <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they've opened up all this stuff sometimes in this series when it transitions between scenes it goes like s club and it's a kind of passage of time and it does that here, but after the S club, they're all still in the same place because Joe is still reading all of the letters and John goes, he writes quicker than you read. <laughs> what, what I will say is that John is the absolute standout of this show. He's the only one of them who has any comic timing whatsoever. Yeah, he's good. He's got some sass going on later on. He does an impression of Joe as well. <laughs> he's quite sort of um, sarcastic. We get a brief appearance from Howard and Marvin, who run the hotel. And so far, this is definitely the episode that features them the least, I guess, because it's more focused on Joe's boyfriend and all that sort of thing. Marvin shows up to give them their work assignments for the day, and they all start making excuses, saying they're ill and they don't want to work. But then Howard shows up and they all immediately stand to attention because they seem to have no respect for Marvin because he's like the nice one. They're just they're just lovable rogues, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Howard has all these nicknames for the band, which we, we get the full list here for the first time. Did you pick up on any of these? I, I did not. So because you didn't remember, if you had to guess, which one would you say is tall kid? <laughs> that must be i don't know paul no <laughs> tina apparently <laughs> okay and short kid i guess hannah yeah that is correct <laughs> and then john is vocab kid <laughs> what, what an oddly complimentary nickname <laughs> yeah and then even though john is vocab kid paul is smart kid i'm not really <laughs> sure what the difference is between those Rachel is this is one that we've heard in a previous episode Rachel is long-haired kid even though she's not the only one with long hair <laughs> and then he just randomly calls Joe other kid and Bradley just kid get over here and get your work assignments okay on reception tall kid and short kid clearing the bar kid vocab kid uh, smart kid cleaning the pool <laughs> long-haired kid and other kid Okay, you guys got that? Uh, uh, did you get that one? Well, he's, again, not a very long focus group, was it? 
Like, no. I, I question the fact that Paul is smart kid, given we just saw him tucking into a mangled, barely edible cake. <laughs> yeah, there's no real evidence for Paul being smart. They do kind of work in the fact that John is a bit intelligent. But yeah, Paul, smart kid, not really. And yeah, Bradley is just kid. Whereas, I mean, with some of the stuff he says in this episode, he should be sort of the dumbest kid, really, bless him. They sort of give him a little bit of kind of... Neil Patrick Harris from How I Met Your Mother Energy. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, he's he's like the that. player of the group. Yeah, he's a bit sort of cheeky, yeah. but not very bright. So then they've been given their jobs for the day. We see Tina at the front desk, the phone rings, and she just goes, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that That is such a mood. <laughs> and Tina is really bad with the phones here. She, she accidentally tells someone to go away. She keeps cutting people off putting people through to the wrong room even though literally in the previous episode we saw her working the phones and she was fine i don't know what kind of meltdown she's had in the meantime but there we go they seem to as a group they seem to have a real downer on the idea of work at this hotel i mean i don't know is is it established that they basically hate what they're doing or is that just convenient for this episode well they so the whole idea was they went to miami because they were told they were going to be you know performing at this sort of top hotel and then they arrive and they get well they find out that it's quite a grubby hotel and that in addition to performing every evening they also have to do all of these chores so they're not happy about it but yeah it kind of varies from episode to episode how competent they actually are at their duties hannah helps tina out she gets a caller back who's been on hold for about half an hour and it's someone wanting to book a room for uh chris little john from emi and hannah starts getting really excited doesn't she yes she does she thinks this is this is the moment this is the big break Chris from EMI is going to come and is going to absolutely, uh, yeah, make their careers. She very quickly takes control of the situation because Tina, I think, is still not really aware of what's going on. Yeah, it's weird. Hannah on the phone is like, from EMI? Okay, I'll book the room for EMI. And then she puts the phone down and goes, a man from EMI is coming here. And Tina's like, EMI, even though she was literally just listening to the conversation (laughs) next to her. It hasn't registered. She's not really with it today. And yeah, obviously they assume that it's the record company EMI. So they both start getting really excited. You know, this is going to be their big break. Chris Littlejohn from EMI. EMI? Cool. Oh, we'll look forward to seeing him then. Thanks. Bye. How did you do that? I don't know, but guess what? The man from EMI is coming here. EMI? As in EMI? Yes. As in music, as in record company, as in what we've been working for all this time? Yes. We then go to Rachel and Joe sort of cleaning the pool and talking about Joe's boyfriend. Still, Joe's not really very keen. Rachel says to her, didn't he threaten to fight that boy who fancied you? And Joe goes, yeah, but that other boy was only six. (laughs) Which I imagine is very reflective of the experiences they were having as a band at that time. Yeah, exactly. They were almost exclusively receiving fan mail from (laughs) six and seven-year-olds who really fancied them. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. After that, they're all having lunch. And again, Paul's going on about how hungry he is. Tina runs up and goes, guess what? And John goes, don't tell me you're the secret love child of Boy George and Dolly Parton. Yes, that that, that joke did not land for me. I'm not really sure what they were going for. <laughs> 
That is very strange. Like, for a start, I'm not sure what kids watching it at the time would have known both of those people. And also, what a strange combination. <laughs> it also, it's, it, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's not as if it even, like, relates to Tina's appearance. She doesn't look no. like the love child of Boy George and Dolly Parton. They've just plucked two names out of a hat. And then Joe goes, I've got it. The Queen's run off with Bill Clinton. It's it, it's a classic kind of sort of segment of this is some some humour for the parents. But they mm. haven't really like thought about it. It's just, oh, who are some people that the mums and dads will know so that <laughs> it's not a completely miserable 22 minutes for them while they watch this programme? Like, oh, a reference to Bill Clinton. I get that. In episode <laughs> one, there was a reference to Tony Blair as well. So they're trying to sneak a bit of politics in for the kids. <laughs> and Paul's contribution is he goes, let me guess, you want me to eat all of your lunch for you? Oh, that's it. Come on, Paul, change the record. Yeah, one track mind. And Tina goes, guess what, right? Shut up. The man from EMI is coming here. And for some reason, their immediate thought is, we've got to write a new song straight away. Yeah, that's it. It's the biggest (laughs) opportunity of our life. Shall we go back to our kind of basics, the standard tracks we know we could do well? No, we're going to basically interest, from what I can see, only John to write a new song (laughs) yeah this is something i've got hung up about before on the podcast the idea of who is writing the band's songs in this universe when they haven't got a record deal or anything and it actually gets answered in this episode because it's apparently john who's writing the song and well he says the boys will write it but when we see them actually doing it later on he's writing it and bradley and paul are just kind of sitting there not doing anything that's it john john has classic like smart kid in a classroom energy where they're set a group task and john you know just starts you know he's very conscientious so he's like oh i'll start the task i'll I'll try and work out what we're going to do with this song and when it becomes clear that the others aren't going to help he doesn't really complain he just gets on with it and does it and so ends up doing all the work. That kind of seems to be John's role here. Yeah, he, he wants to get it done and he says, we're all going to do it together. But he, I think he knows fully well he's going to be the only one doing the work. Bless him. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So before they write the song, Joe wants some help writing to her boyfriend first. And this is the point where John does an impression of her writing a postcard. And he sounds like Alan Carr for some reason. He, does. he goes like, yeah, he goes like, weather hot, love Joe, but it sounds exactly like Alan Carr. Who's going to help me write to my boyfriend? What are you going to say? Well, I don't know, that's the problem. Well, it's going to be hard to top your last postcard to him, isn't it? What did you say? Weather hot, love Joe. And Joe is like, oh, I'm, I don't really like him. I want him to stop writing and calling and I want to go out with other people. And they're like, oh, so you're, you're chucking him then because this is like a sort of a playground environment. They're like, oh, you're chucking him. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. And also it was apparent when she first started getting the post that she wanted to chuck him. 
This is not new information, guys. Yeah, they're all quite surprised, but they all volunteer to kind of help her write this letter. But they start giving her all this conflicting advice, like, oh, say it's not you, it's me. No, say it is him. And this is the point where they say, well, what don't you like about him? And she goes, well, I don't like his shoes much and I don't like the paper he writes to me on. I mean, it's a it's it's an all-time deal breaker. I, I can't tell you the amount of breakups I've instigated solely on the basis <laughs> of what letterhead they have. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you can't tell him that. And Hannah goes, well, at least it's something he can change. It's not like saying he's boring or ugly or something. <laughs> Which it's implied Joe thinks he is. <laughs> yeah, she clearly thinks he's he's not very exciting. So she goes off to write this letter. And then the next scene is her reading it out to them all for feedback in the hotel room. And I like how she she finishes writing it. She puts her pen down and they're all just sitting on one single bed looking at her. Like they've just been watching her write the entire thing, waiting for her to read it out. And she says, right, you guys are Robert and I'm me. And Bradley goes, I'm confused. <laughs> it really is. These these boys just do not have personalities beyond being a bit <laughs> thick, do they? Yeah. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. <laughs> Right, you're Robert, okay? Who is? Well, you all are. Okay. Okay, okay. So who are you? Well, I'm me, isn't I? I'm confused. Right, you ready? Right, here we go. <clears throat> Dear Robert, I want a break. Make that a permanent break. It's kaput for Neo. It's Hester La Vista, baby, which in English means... Well, I'm not sure what it means, but basically, it's not you, it's me. No, it is you after all. There may or may not be someone else, but let's stay friends, or possibly not. P.S. I didn't like your shoes much. Love, Joe. And it's the worst letter imaginable because she's trying to incorporate all of their advice and they're all kind of amazed by how bad it is. And she just goes, oh, I can't send this, can I? I ain't got a stamp. <laughs> it's quality, quality comedy writing. It's really, it's, it's, it's right up there. Yeah, sensibly, Paul screws up the paper and is like, right, you need to have another go without our help and then after that is the point where the boys supposedly are writing the song together but it's really just john he's come up with a title it's called it's over and that's basically all of he all he's done and paul's like come on john we've got to have this finished by tonight while he's just casually flicking through a magazine and not contributing at all that's it i get the impression john has never broken up with anyone ever and so um, that's the issue here with finding the motivation for this song. Yeah, he's like, oh, I just need a word to rhyme with misery. And Bradley suggests misery. Oh, he's he's really <laughs> portrayed as being really dumb in this episode. There's a bit where he can't say the word hallucinating. If I was Bradley reading this script, I'd be like, um, excuse me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't you? Like, it, it, it's odd. It's like, this was true of any kind of, I guess, show for kids in like the 90s and, and, and the 2000s. Like, if you're the funny one, in the group you also have to be thick it's like you can't be funny and clever yeah and you you can't pronounce words because that's apparently just inherently funny yeah that's that's the job of vocab kit <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly that's john's superpower john and paul are talking about how a relationship is a bit like a journey and bradley obviously doesn't get it paul goes you buy a ticket for a flight and you think you're off to miami or marriage and paul says then someone hijacks the plane and flies you to Beirut. Yeah, it's an odd reference. It's a very, very <laughs> odd reference. Of course, being Paul, he'd get off the plane halfway through and never talk to them again. I hope Paul's not listening. <laughs> or maybe maybe I hope he is. You broke my heart, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the punchline to that whole bit about the journey is Bradley going, well, next time I have a relationship, I'm going by train. 
and just walks off. It's, it's again, it's not a strong punchline. <laughs> All of the girls, apart from Joe, are making up a room for the man from EMI, and they've very subtly covered the mirror with loads of photos of the band. I quite like that. They're kind of subliminally trying to be like sign us. And then suddenly there's a knock at the door and it's Joe's boyfriend, Robert, who's just shown up, you know, traveled all the way to Miami to see his loving girlfriend. And she is not interested at all, is she? No, she's not. And the, the, the other girls are really kind of trying to trying to keep him sweet while they try and tell Joe before she just finds out. Um, yeah, yeah they, they won't tell they won't tell him where Joe is. Rachel asks if she can smell him and she goes, Oh, he smells like England, sort of sweaty. Yeah, that was odd. Having not seen any other episodes of this show, I was baffled by Rachel's characterization. So at the start, she's like, when the, when the post's coming, she's this very kind of needy, why is, you know, why is my boyfriend not writing to me? And then later on, she has this, she seems to be some sort of relationship sage when she's giving Joe advice. And then she's just going up to smell this fella who's turned up. <laughs> it's, and she seems very pleased by the fact he smells slightly sweaty. Um, I didn't know that was the defining characteristic of England. You know, a, a notoriously cold and rainy country. Yeah, a lot of this, I think this is the case with a lot of them. Their personalities kind of shift according <laughs> to what the episode requires. Uh, obviously, Paul is hungry all the time. That doesn't change. But other than that, yeah, that seems to be how it is. And Rachel in particular in the previous episodes has been a lot dumber than this. In this episode, she seems less dumb, to be fair. The girls are being quite sort of polite to him, but a bit harsh because they won't tell him where Joe is. And after he leaves, Hannah goes, yeah, she's right, his shoes aren't very nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a reasonable request on his part. I've flown halfway across the world to see my girlfriend. Do you know where she is? It's not an unfair question. <laughs> I know, this poor guy. I didn't notice anything about his shoes. I should have paused it to see what shoes he was actually wearing, but I didn't think to do fine. that. They fine. I think they were just <laughs> trainers. I think they, they seemed okay. I mean, I, I admit that I'm, you know... I'm not an expert on style by any means, but um, <laughs> they looked fine. I looked up this actor and he was in Band of Brothers after this, apparently. Right. Wasn't everyone who was a young British actor at that time in Band of Brothers? Don't diminish his success. <laughs> <laughs> after that, the girls are on the beach and they're kind of speculating about what the EMI guy might look like. This point is where Joe shows up and is like, right, I think I've cracked this letter. And as she's reading it, obviously her boyfriend shows up behind her. And when she notices he's there, I think Joe does her best bit of acting in the show so far. She kind of turns around absolutely horrified. I was quite impressed with that. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing to be said for his shoes, it's that they allowed him to creep up very slowly and surreptitiously. Yeah, that, that is good. After that, they're all kind of setting everything up for the performance. And plot twist, Bradley has found out that the EMI guy is actually a woman, Christine Littlejohn, because he's been chatting to her at the bar and kind of accidentally finds out that she works for EMI. And Hannah's like, oh, I can't believe we assumed she was a man. It means we're all sexist. And fair play, this is the first episode of the series so far to have been written by a woman. And it is 100% the least sexist episode so far. And it even includes a little bit of a message about you know, don't assume that everyone with a job is a man. So fair play. I was quite impressed with that. 
Yeah, I was sort of pleasantly caught off guard by it, mainly because I wasn't expecting a plot twist in the show at all. <laughs> um, I mean, as it happens, we got two. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was, yeah, kind of fascinated by how upfront they were about the, the, yeah, the feminist message of this. You've got Hannah learning a very valuable lesson about, yeah, not assuming, as you said, that anyone with a job is, is a man. I, I thought it was actually quite nicely handled the way that they uh, they approach that, and of course it's Bradley that works it out because he was chatting her up, like yeah, as I said, like um, uh, Neil Patrick Harris from from How I Met Your Mother. But we won't we won't talk about how he found out. The fact that he found out is what's important, and the fact that everyone learned a valuable lesson about the uh, power of women in the workforce. Yeah, and considering the previous episode had a joke about Rachel's boobs. So to go from that to this, I was quite impressed. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's progress. So they've invited the woman from EMI to the show now. And they're like, great, we've only got one hour to finish, learn, rehearse and choreograph the new song. I mean, why don't they just do one of their other songs? <laughs> oh, uh, now, in, in fairness... Because we see this in, in TV a lot. I was a big fan of um, of Glee when that was on TV. And yeah, Glee, same. Glee was very guilty of going, we've got 20 minutes to do something from scratch and choreograph it. And they'd come out and it would be this enormous production <laughs> with multiple harmonies and all sorts of stuff. But in fairness to this, the performance does look like it was knocked up in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That was, yeah, that was always hilarious about Glee. We see them learning all these new songs every single week and then it gets to sectionals or regionals or whatever and they're like on the day trying to pick what song they're going to perform. Well, it's like, why can't you perform any of the songs you've done all term? No, we can't do those. It has to be a new song for today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's heartening though to see that S Club 7 are, are taking that approach. John is still trying to write the song. And he's like, oh, it's nearly there. I just need a bit more inspiration. Robert comes over. He's now been dumped and they're all asking him how he's feeling. And John starts taking notes going, are you feeling anything that rhymes with the word beginning? Yeah, John, who has up until this point been quite intelligent, you know, both uh, both kind of academically and emotionally, just becomes incredibly rude to this poor guy. <laughs> He's stressed. He needs to get the song done. He needs to hear all of Robert's feelings. <laughs> Especially the ones that rhyme with beginning. Yeah. And then another, a little twist here. It turns out he doesn't actually need to bother with the song anymore because Joe has written one. Joe, who earlier couldn't even string a sentence together to write a letter, has written a nice heartfelt ballad for the night. Yes, you see, I was having a fun game here, and I don't know if this is true in all of the episodes, where when they said they'd written the song, I was trying to work out which S Club 7 track it was going to be. Right, okay. I, I, I hadn't worked it out, so I was you know, pleasantly surprised when I got a, a blast of uh, Two in a Million. Yeah, it was. It's, it's been in my head for the last few days. It is a good one. I particularly enjoy the little choreography that the boys are doing behind Joe. <laughs> this is what I mean when I say it looks like it was thrown together in an hour because it's some yeah. of the worst dancing I've ever seen in my life. They're just wearing these like oversized clothes and sort of swaying from side to side. I did well because we're all in lockdown. I do um, online YouTube workouts. Right. Um, and they're designed for people who are not very good at workouts. And that's what it looked like they were doing um, <laughs> while they were attempting to dance to this song. They didn't seem to do anything verbally in the song. You've got Joe singing lead and then the girls as, as backing singers. But 
these bo- the job of the boys was basically just to, to to sway there in their terrible clothes badly. I wonder if it had John written the song, he might have written himself a better part. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, John's wearing like an enormous kind of shirt, isn't he? And like it's bigger than him. And they're just sort of, you know, swaying and doing a few little arm actions. But yeah, kind of, it could have worked if they all were just doing backing vocals like the girls, but the boys are doing these uh, interesting moves behind Joe. I recommend people have a look. She has told Robert to come to the show basically because she said, oh, I wrote the song for you. Uh, but as they are performing, plot twist he goes and sits next to the woman from emi and they start holding hands during the song it's odd isn't it because there seems to be an age gap in that romance (laughs) he seems a lot younger yeah i looked this woman up and she's only got about four credits on imdb so i looked a bit further and i found i think some superb trivia she is on the cover of the Red Hot Chili Peppers album, Mother's Milk. She's kind of like topless with things covering her chest. And apparently when the band printed posters where her whole chest was exposed, she successfully sued the Red Hot Chili Peppers for $50,000. Wow. <laughs> you know, for so many of the people in this show, appearing in it was the most exciting thing to happen in their lives. But not for this lady. She's a... Uh... Got so, yeah, got a very interesting career by the sounds of it. Yeah, her name is Dawn Alain, and she seems to be an artist now. Which again, yeah, I encourage people to look that up because it's quite a. She's got quite an interesting website, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad I went a bit further than IMDb with her four <laughs> credits on there as an actress. There's a actually there's a lot of twists in this episode now that I think about it. After they performed the audience are loving it. They go up to the woman from EMI and are like, oh my God, are you going to sign us? Did you enjoy it? And she's like, well, I am looking for some new acts, but I think there needs to be some changes in your sound before it's ready to be heard in an elevator. Oh, what do you think? Yeah, I loved it. Fantastic. Yeah, I am looking for some new acts. So you sign us up? Not yet. There needs to be some changes in your sound before it's ready to be heard in an elevator. (laughs) I beg your pardon? In an elevator, uh, elevator music, melodic mood setters, as we say in the business. What are you talking about? I thought you was from EMI. I am. Elevator Moods International, EMI. No. Are you saying our music sounds like elevator music? Not yet it isn't, but if you lose the words and most of the instruments, add a few ping, ping, pings, make it an hour and a half longer and play through one very muffled speaker, I think we could do a deal. And they're like, what? Because apparently EMI stands for Elevator Moods International. Yes, it does. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I actually really like this as a twist. I think um, it's, it's actually quite well executed. And I think one of the one of the things that you have to get right when you're doing a show like this is that you have to make the episode storylines feel important, but you also have to be able to evaporate those stakes at the end so that there's no yeah. follow through into the next episode. And I think this is actually quite a well-executed way of doing that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's kind of, obviously it's not going to be someone from the real EMI, but you don't think that you do kind of get on board with, oh, this is going to be their big break. And then it's crushed and taken away from them at the last minute. And not even just that, but she then goes off with 
Joe's boyfriend for a date. <laughs> yeah, she apparently had no problems with his shoes. Maybe when he starts writing her letters, she'll just hate the paper. Yeah, I, I'm not sure where the relationship's going to go because presumably he's going to go back to England. But I think, yeah, he deserves it. He's been sort of, he's been chucked quite uh, unceremoniously. He deserves a bit of fun in Miami. Definitely. With the, the, the <laughs> I mean, she becomes less exciting when you learn that she's kind of a representative for a company that does elevator music. <laughs> yeah, I like the moment earlier we find out oh this top executive at emi is actually a woman what a twist and then like oh no wait she isn't actually a top executive at a record company she's a top executive at an elevator company it does diminish the twist a little bit but what do you mean it's a woman yeah we get <laughs> it would be nice if we eventually met an actual woman from emi so the episode ends with them all kind of eating breakfast again talking about how joe is now free and single Rachel says that she's told the postman about Hannah liking him and that he seemed interested. So Hannah starts getting all excited, but the postman comes over and it's a different guy. He's really old and he's got kind of missing teeth. And he goes, which one of you is Hannah? And they all point at each other. And then we kind of freeze frame like credits roll. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame, really. I would have liked the old man to also be on roller skates. I think that would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that would have been good. He should have... Um... Yeah, that would have been more of a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely would have done. So um, any other like thoughts about the episode before we finish? I, I was fascinated by it. I was honestly fascinated by this show, by the level of... The level of strange characterization of these people where only John has a brain and, and the rest of them are just bizarre. It is odd and I, watching Joe on a TV program, given the level of notoriety Joe had in the noughties with the whole Big Brother scandal. It's strange, because other than that, you know, the one event in a, a, a student union bar that I mentioned, I've not really uh, experienced her since she was, I guess in modern parlance, she was cancelled. So it was, yeah, it was odd. Yeah, she is very prominent in this episode as well. And she's a bit kind of softer in this episode too, because in the previous episodes, it's been kind of a running thing that she's really like up for just sort of beating people up and that sort of thing. But she's a little bit softer in this episode. And yeah, it is interesting to see her in that sort of context, I guess. It's, it's an unfortunate character trait for them to have given her, I suppose, given she wanted to become a sort of TV bully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So um, before we finish, where can people find you on Twitter? And is there anything uh, like your podcasts that you want to plug? Um, yeah, sure. So uh, my full-time job is I'm a freelance journalist writing about uh, film and entertainment. I write for lots of places, uh, including uh, Yahoo Movies, Gizmodo, sometimes The Guardian, um, uh, The Ringer as well, places like that. All of my stuff can be found on Twitter, which is at Tom J. Beasley, which is B-E-A-S-L-E-Y. Um, I'm the host of two podcasts. There is uh, the Pick of the Flicks podcast, which is part of the Flickering Myth podcast network on that podcast i interview a different guest every week about their all-time favorite film and i also host everything from nothing the waterloo road podcast which is a newly launched podcast going through every episode of the bbc's classroom drama waterloo road which is available in its entirety on iplayer so it's nice to come on a another very niche nostalgic tv podcast to uh, promote it <laughs> Yeah, we are kindred spirits, clearly. We started these <laughs> niche TV podcasts in lockdown, as you do. I think it's the only thing to do. I remember reading a tweet right near the beginning of lockdown 
which basically said, um, be careful because one of the biggest dangers of something that could happen to you during quarantine is that you'll accidentally start a podcast. Um, and <laughs> yeah, here we I are. I saw that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I keep seeing things like that. The other day I saw someone who I follow tweet something like, um, just to let you know, you don't have to start a podcast. Just a general tweet. But I was like, damn, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> I, the thing is, I always feel like they're subtweeting me. They're probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am definitely not prominent enough to be subtweeted by anyone. But I always feel like it's aimed at me. <laughs> to be fair, I think our podcasts are not podcasts that have been done before. So I think we're okay. No, no one's like, oh, another, an, another one of those Waterloo Road podcasts. Yeah. Oh, they're talking about the S Club 7 show again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of It's an S Pod Thing. It was edited by Alex Blondek with music by William Kitchener. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to let us know that we're your number one, please subscribe and leave us a good review. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.